welcome to the latest episode of the Being Civil podcast with me, Wayne Gibbons. Well, this week marks a very special week for us in GMIT because it's the first week of teaching in the new academic year. Now, it's going to look a little bit different to our normal teaching in the sense that there'll be a mixture of online and on campus, but it's still exciting either way. And I'd like to take a moment to welcome our new students into civil engineering and also the students who are returning uh, now that they've progressed into second, third and fourth year. So you're all very welcome and hopefully we'll have uh, an exciting year ahead for you. In this episode of the podcast, I chat with Laura Gaffney. Laura is a senior engineer working for Tobin Consulting Engineers in Galway. Laura is an experienced engineer working in the Civil Infrastructure Roads and Traffic Department, and she also has a background in environmental engineering, which she talks about in this episode. One of the things that I think uh, comes across really strong in this episode is the broad range of activities and tasks that a civil engineer can work on. But also, I'm not going to spoil it too much for you, but Laura gives a fantastic tip to our current students. Such a simple one. She sums it up in three words. And I think, you know, that's something that everybody should take on board. So have a listen to what she's got to say when I ask her for some studying tips for our current students. I'll be back at the end for a little bit more podcast news. But in the meantime, sit back, relax and enjoy me being civil with Laura Gaffney. You're very welcome to the podcast. Hi, Wayne. Thanks very much for having me. Uh, not at all. It's great to it's great to meet you. We haven't actually met before, so this is a little bit unusual. Uh, and you're you're the first guest I've had on that I didn't actually have in class. So it's it's really nice to meet you and to hear what your story is all about. So maybe we'll start off, Laura, uh, by telling the listeners when did you graduate from GMIT and what happened next for you after that. Well, I graduated in 2005, um, so I'd gotten my cert in my ordinary degree um, from GMIT. And then I continued further studies in Queens and Belfast, where I got my honours degree. Um, and then from there, I worked for a local engineer who I'd been working with part-time during my studies in GMIT, um, and just a local engineer here in Ballinasloe, and did a lot of housing schemes and work like that, um, and saved up some money and took the opportunity to do some travelling with some, some friends from college and we went out to Australia for over a year. So we worked out in Australia for a short period and then returning back home, we kind of came back in the middle of a recession. So about just after 2007, 2008, we returned home. So at that time I decided the best thing to do was to probably go do further studies as it was very difficult to get jobs at the time. So I went back actually to Queens and did a master's in environmental engineering in 2010 and from that then again it was still quite difficult to get employment so I took an opportunity to work actually in GMIT um, in the access office so I was working um, originally sort of as special needs assistant so sitting in on classes taking notes for a student at illness and that was on the master's environmental systems which was quite similar to what I'd actually studied in Queen's so it was like a refresher course to learn all about it again and get a bit further into some topics um, and from there, I was then asked to, as I did a master's, I was asked to, um, if I'd take the opportunity to try and teach some maths, um, do some one-on-one -on -one tutorials with students through the Access office. Um, so I did that um, in every discipline, more or less in engineering, between mechanical, electrical, civil, some of the sciences. 
all geared around maths. And from that, then I actually met uh, through actually the masters in GMIT. I saw that um, Noelle Jones was there, and she had previously worked in uh, Tobin's in Galway, and it kind of brought to my attention that um, a person in from Tobin's who had. Um, talked about the environmental impact assessments related to traffic chapters. So I contacted Tobin's about getting a job and I actually applied through the FOSS internship and commenced working in Tobin's the following year. Um, stayed on working in GMIT part-time in the evenings and yes, yeah, started working in Tobin's in about 2012, I think it was, so about eight years ago and I've been there since. Right. Wow. Well, that's it's great that you've been with uh, the one company for so long. That really speaks volumes for what they're like as an employer. Where, where's your career path gone from there since 2012 then? Well, originally when I started, I think I was like the first new hire in probably since the recession at the time. Um, and I came in during the FOSS internship. So I was kind of split between departments at the time. I was working between roads and traffic and also between the civil department. So I was getting a feel for both sides of it. Um, it was it was good to get the opportunity to work in both sides. Um, I even worked, I think, on a project in GMIT, the fire escape stairs there that they built um, sometime around then, sort of up around the 100 series building. Um, so that was very interesting got a chance to get out in sight but it gave me such an opportunity to see different parts of engineering i previously worked mainly in housing and one-off housing and housing estates so now i was working on more commercial projects learning about traffic traffic assessments road design junction design it was kind of quite an eye-opener i really enjoyed the diversity of being in both different departments like some elements that you learned in civil kind of came across then into the rose department between drainage design it was just yeah very I'd, I really liked it I just enjoyed working between the departments and getting to learn so much at one stage someone has said to me that you're almost a jack of all trades um, but since then I've sort of specialized more in the last few years in roads and traffic so as I've gradually progressed from being like a graduate engineer to a design engineer and onto a project engineer and now a senior engineer I've kind of moved with the times and gradually gone from a discipline in civil to then into roads so I did at times work between both departments for um, just assisting um, as, as resources needed between different departments um, but it's been such a great opportunity you get to see how things work and it does um, for example like if you're doing um, the technical guidance documents that are out there for like um, disabled access learning about that also comes into your road design into your pedestrian access it makes you more aware of what you need to be considering as you do design very good yeah so you got a kind of a broad enough kind of start and it gave you an insight into a couple of different departments by the sounds of it so when you say roads and, and traffic there do you mean designing the geometry of the roads or do you mean things like uh, traffic management with signals and junctions and bit of everything to be honest um originally i would have been involved with the say the civil section but it also would have um had elements of the road design in it so designing junctions for like developments as the access onto the main road like visibility um junction design horizontal and vertical alignments um of the junction so quite small scale at the start but as i've progressed on we've been doing more like horizontal vertical alignment for road schemes for 
um, pavement overlays, projects like that as you move more into the road design side of it. Um, and also in traffic for any development now that goes for planning, you typically have to do a traffic and transportation assessment. So I was focused on for a good period actually on the assessment for traffic. So looking at what the traffic flows are, predicting traffic flows from a development, how it's going to move to a junction, how the traffic flow moves through the junction determines what type of junction you're going to design for depending on the flow levels on the movements that are happening so is it a priority junction or are you moving up to towards a roundabout or are you going towards a signalized design and you assess them for different years so for the year you open future years so your future proof for the next 15 years to make sure the junction is able to take the capacity you also look at neighbouring developments. How are they going to impact? Is there plans that something has planning permission but isn't built, so you need to account for traffic flows there? So it's just looking at how a lot of the junctions work, how they work in conjunction with each other. So using a lot of different softwares. So it works from traffic, um, using like Linzig, Arcti, Picardy. There's a whole variety of different softwares out there, and you can even get into microsimulation. So there's a whole spate of um, design that you do for your traffic and transportation but also as part of that you look at other elements like you look at as you said your geometry and your horizontal and vertical also what's the visibility for the access can you see left and right so vehicles can leave depending on the speed of the road need certain distances um, and as you go on further then I suppose you also have like the safety side of it as well. So we'd look at collision statistics to see if there are collisions in the vicinity. Um, and then that also leads on to road safety audits. So anytime a junction is designed or you do a scheme that changes um, the alignment or changes the scheme in any particular way, you might have to do a road safety audit or road safety impact assessment on the scheme to see how the changes in the design, what's going to lead to potential collisions and how can you identify them and then advise the design team to address that so the road safety audit is completely independent of the actual design so they're not part of the design work so that they're fresh eyes looking at the scheme and looking at it from a different perspective and also they don't have any ownership of the design so they're more capable of identifying where they think there might be a collision and they can just advise back so they don't have to be like oh maybe that design is um or oh, we've done it the best we could but can it lead to a collision if it can you need to advise that and then it's up to the design team to review their design to address that wow that's that sounds like a very interesting uh, type of role really so you're kind of looking at public safety as well as everything else like that's that's amazing really i suppose it kind of ties back into the idea of the civil engineer actually providing a service to communities really and public safety is a huge factor in that so that's that's really good and do you look at when you're looking at planning then do you look at things like the central statistics office to get an idea of future populations in certain areas or the location of say schools and how that might affect traffic in the area does that, does that come into it as well yeah so with traffic if you're to do the traffic we'd have to get traffic surveys done so you scope it with the local authority so a lot of our job would be liaising with local authorities finding out what the requirements are for the assessments so you might know of a development that's going to be built and then you're like okay so we're building this development here what is in the locality what is going to be the big draws for traffic so as you said the schools are very important so TII Transport Infrastructure Ireland um, have 
a lot of documentation about how to go about doing your traffic and transportation assessments. There's also how to go about doing your modelling, the project appraisal guidelines. There is how to do predictive flows for future growth. But you'd also need to look at, okay, there's a school nearby. When can we undertake our traffic counts? And they can only be undertaken during neutral periods. So, for example, in particular, if you're doing building something near GMIT, you know that the school, like the college, is going to have students back, is it like late September? So you wouldn't want to get a traffic count during the summer months because the traffic flow would be different during the summer compared to when the students are back and the staff are back at GMIT because that would have a huge draw on traffic. So you base when you get your traffic counts on when it's suitable um, based on what the normal flow patterns are. And then you predict your, your predicted traffic is then added on top of the normal flows to see how you're going to impact on either existing junctions or on the new junctions you're designing. Yeah, and I mean, that's kind of a, it's a hot topic around Galway in particular at the moment with the, I suppose it's ongoing traffic issues, I suppose. And would you find exactly. most of your work is, is it kind of local or regional or do you do, you do any international work at the moment? Um, not international, but a lot of it is, um, it's all around Ireland. Like I've been working on schemes up in Dublin, up for Dublin City Council, up around Ballymun, which was a quite interesting project and it involved a lot of liaison between different local authorities. I'm also working on projects in Leitrim. I'm also working currently, my biggest project at the moment is the National Speed Limit Review. So it's reviewing ourselves and another consultancy, have half the country each, and we review all the national roads. We check what the design speed, we check the speed of the road. So we've gone out and done drive surveys. We do assessments based on information provided in GIS, road widths, collision statistics, sinuosity of the road, analyze it, and then determine, do we think the speed that's currently on the road is suitable? It's more or less looking at fresh eyes going, do we think this speed is appropriate? And if it's appropriate, then we go, okay, it's appropriate. We put in our recommendations why we think it's appropriate. And if you think it's not appropriate, why you think it's not appropriate and what you recommend to change the speed to. So we've done that all across Ireland and we're still in the process of doing it. Every five years, there's a national review of the National Road Scheme um, based on speed limits to see um, what the proposed what the current bylaws are for roads so that's kind of an ongoing process at the moment they're all different counties or at different stages depending on availability um, so it's a very interesting topic and that is one of the projects I'm kind of quite passionate about at the moment because I'm doing a lot worth it but I do, I've worked on a variety of projects up in Mayo, Leitrim, pavement overlay schemes um, we worked on our D bypass there last year for the tender stage preparing the documentation the detailed design um, so the whole variety of colleagues have been working on projects down in Tipperary. So all over Ireland, we do a lot of work. Very good. Yeah. And I, I'd say with the with the speed limit reviews and the surveys, that's, that's probably a contentious enough issue, I would say, in some areas, because you will always get locals who probably feel they, they know better, maybe. And uh, do you find then that you have to do any public consultations with people to explain your decisions or does that does that come into it at all for you? Yeah. Public consultation does come into it with the speed limit review, but as our, we're kind of representation for TII when it comes to the speed limit review, so we do our assessments of the routes and we go to TII with them recommendations and we discuss them. And then from that, we then bring it to the councils and we discuss what the proposals are with the councils. If they disagree with them, then we would have discussions or get speed surveys undertaken to see what 
the actual speed the road is to assist in developing the design for it. But from that then, once they've drafted the bylaws, the bylaws then are brought to public consultation, as you were saying, and they're available on speedlimits.ie for anyone to observe. So there's draft bylaws there, there's the current bylaws. So if you're ever looking for the speed limit on a road, it's available on speedlimits.ie. And from the public consultation, there's a period where the public are able, as you said, to review them. They can put in comments and they go to the local authority. And then from that, the local authority might come back to us and we might reassess and just see if there is something that needs to change. But the speed, the National Road Review, it's um, the National Road's purpose mainly is to allow people to move from A to B. It's not really for a lot of development. You'll find that on national roads, you don't get a lot of developments, a lot of accesses. The main purpose is to reduce journey time to allow people to commute from A to B in a swift manner, where on your regional and local roads, you get more developments and more accesses. Um, and yeah, so that's kind of the main purpose of it is just to allow people to move swiftly between points. Um, yeah. Sure, yeah. And I suppose the more access points you have, the the slower the, the slower speed. the journey times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Slower the journey times and I suppose the slower the design speed as well. Uh for I'm sure safety is probably a consideration there with the with the access points. Looking back a little bit then, Laura, what would you say was the most important thing you learned in GMIT for your career? Um I think one of the things I remember and always stuck with me was um, Massey Farrell used to always say, we used to have him for surveying, was be clear, concise and unambiguous. And it's something that's always stuck in my mind. And I'd say a lot of other students he's had over the years would remember it as well. Um, it was just, he was referring to when we were filling in our surveying books, just to be clear, concise and unambiguous. But it applies to everything. When you're writing a report, when you write that report, if someone else is to read it, can they understand? You have a knowledge of the scheme and the project, but if someone was to look at fresh eyes, will they understand? So you have to be very clear, has to be very concise to the point and has to be unambiguous. So there's no discrepancies in what someone could interpret to mean. So I think that's very important. And that's one thing that's always stuck with me from GMIT. Brilliant. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I remember Mossy saying that a few times before and when I, when I was there listening to him as well, uh, and it, it's absolutely, I mean, it sounds so simple, but yeah, it's, it's excellent advice. Uh, so thanks again for sharing that. What, what was it that made you choose civil engineering then in the first place? I, I know you mentioned a few minutes ago that you thought there might be a bit more maths involved compared to what you're, the mix of things you're doing on a daily basis now. But what was it that made you pick civil engineering in the first place? Was it the maths or, or something else? Yeah, it was kind of the maths. Um, I've heard actually some of your previous podcasts, people have talked about how they've um, always been interested in engineering and playing with Lego. To be honest, I don't think I actually played with Lego that much, just come from a household of women. Um, but I did find that what I really... When I was in secondary school, they do the tests about spatial awareness and things like that. And I always did quite well in that area. Um, and also maths has always been something I've quite liked. I like the fact that it's probably because I've always had an aptitude for maths. Um, it's over English, say. Um, I've always found that my maths level would have been quite strong. Um, and I find... That's part of the reason why I chose it, but also I had two friends um, whose fathers were actually civil engineers. And at the time I was considering going down a science line with physics or chemistry or something along that way, or else doing engineering. And the reason I chose engineering over 
science was I wanted the opportunity not to be in an office all the time. I wanted to be able to get out and about. Um, it's just fine that it breaks up your day an awful lot when you actually can get out and go to a meeting or you can get out and like, go to site. There's such a variety of works you can do. I didn't want to take a science and get stuck in a lab or something along that aspect. So I think just hearing... I wouldn't have really known about civil engineering apart from hearing it through my friends and about their parents' roles and their jobs. And I just found it quite interesting. And I knew that there was a lot of maths involved in it, in different aspects of it. And it was just something I was like, okay, I think that's for me. So I gave it a shot and yeah, got exception to MIT. I'm actually really glad I did. Really enjoyed the time there. Oh, well, that's nice to hear. Yeah, thanks. Um, would you recommend civil engineering as a career then to somebody who's in, in the same position, maybe who likes maths, but wants the option for a varied career that includes a mixture of office and outdoors? No, I would recommend civil engineering. I, I do like the aspects of it that you get both in the office and out of office experience. I also found that there is still an awful lot of maths in it and you've got such a grounding and it's such a skill set to have. Um, a lot of um, the role becomes a lot into project management and dealing with people and communication are strong parts of it. And it's something I did find is a great opportunity. Like you can travel with engineering. I've been to Australia. I know a lot of people who've gone to Canada, the States. There's a lot of chances and opportunities to go abroad if you choose to go abroad or want to take a year out and it's a great it's a great discipline to be in um, there's always some area of engineering you can do and work in I've seen people who've done civil engineering and maybe even if there's a recession and they might have lost jobs their skill set is transferable and they've gone into different industries whether it's um, pharmaceuticals or into R&D design that there's such a variety of aspects that you can take from civil engineering into them roles but I think engineering in itself is just such a it's sort of almost like a secret industry in a sense, not that people don't know of it, but just people aren't aware of what you do, like water treatment that we work on, like road design, utilities, all of these things that provide for people that people don't think of. They don't sort of go, oh, how do we get our water? But as engineers, you understand the idea of how that's gone about. So I just think it's a great industry. You get such an understanding of what's going on without really having to, I just find, think it's a great industry. Yeah, it's funny. I think I've used the term before. It's, it's almost like a hidden industry in a way, because exactly like you said there about even something as simple as turning on the tap and where does that clean water come from? You know, that's all civil engineering and, you know, going to the cinema at nighttime, how long does it take you to get there? That's traffic management and civil engineering. There's, there's way more. And you've done environmental qualifications as well. that People can go into that field as well. And you mentioned there as well, Laura, that you kind of progress a little bit into project management. So can you tell us in, in a company like Tobin's where you're working, is there mentoring for graduates then that move from say the technical into the more project management is there a kind of support systems in place for uh, career progression like that yeah definitely it's a big part of the role actually in an engineering company i find that when you come out of college you've got one set of skill sets and you know a lot about the industry but when you actually get into the role of the job there's so much that you learn on the job and there's a lot of mentoring involved in that so you're more senior members of staff 
will take you under their wing. They will assign you work, but it's not just here, can you go do this? You're given template projects. You're taught about why things are done in a certain way. Also, as a new person into the industry, you might have new technology, new advances you've learned in college, or you're just aware of a different way of doing something, which can make it easier to complete the task. So I find that like mentoring at the moment, I've got a couple of staff that work for me. So I do, I assign to graduates, I assign them work, but I also kind of advise them of what the standard documents would be that they wouldn't be aware of so they can review the standard documents they can create the project it gives them a sense of achievement that they can actually take it and build the project themselves i'm just guiding them i will review the work it's a big part of engineering that everything is quality assessed so there's a lot of reviewing going over and over again but it's part of the role to make sure that no mistakes um, happen but if the mistakes do happen it's a learning process and that's what i find in mentoring is i've people who work for me and I always try to be very open and make communication a very important part of that. I don't want someone to get stuck on something and sit there for an hour or two not knowing what to do. I'd rather they approach me, ask me a question, we can sit down, we can go through it. It's some days I might spend a day with the colleague and we'll actually just go through the process and how to do the job, give them examples of where they'll find work and it, it takes from my time, but it's part of the job. It's part of mentoring people so that they can then move on. They can progress. They can do the work. And it's just, I find it's quite satisfying that you help someone and then you can see a year or two later that they've, they start mentoring someone beneath them as they move up the chain. And I just think it's a very good, it's an important part of engineering is communication, mentoring, um, assisting people progress through the career path. Absolutely, yeah. I mean that type of self-reflection and peer review that uh, that goes along with that is just so vital. And I, I suppose a question just comes to mind that, uh, relating to that, uh, just around chartership, because I'm sure self-reflection and personal development comes into that as well. So, uh, would you maybe just tell us a little bit about the process of becoming chartered, and then what that means for you and for your company, like the benefits of it? Yeah. Um, okay. So. So I got chartered in 2018, so it's quite a long time, I suppose, since I graduated. I graduated in 2017, but I did take some time out faffle about in Australia, I suppose. Um, but when I got back working, um, the chartership usually has about five competencies that they want you to achieve. So it's all about, um, it's how you progress as well in the role. So as you go from being a graduate, maybe to being guided through your work to as you progress and you start managing work a bit more um, if you find issues with projects how you resolve them or how you've gone to someone to help you resolve them and as you progress up the ladder so that comes a lot into the charge to process it's kind of like a two-step process the first step is to do an application form where you respond under certain headings you write um, I think it's a 2000 word summary of your career which doesn't which seems an awful lot of words but actually when you try to write it you realize how little it's in it and you've got so much history behind you um, and then you do your five competencies where you write about how you've either some areas are in innovation other areas are in communication so like attending meetings chairing meetings taking minutes in meetings emails how you liaise with people through conference calls there's a whole variety of stuff under communication and it, there's a whole section there about your knowledge about how you understand 
the technical side of the project and the job between like your design from your design standards, how they apply, how your experience also assists you in that area. And there's also about morals as well, which is a big thing in engineering. It's about how how you can complete the work and as well you get pressure from different areas whether if you're working for a design build project you might get pressure to try and get the works done in the cheapest format but you have to make sure you adhere to the design principles as well as you go through it um, so there's covering all them competencies and from that then you submit your application and you've got two mentors who you include on that and they review your work and that gets sent off and if you get selected, then you get called for interview. And the interview process, I did mine in Dublin, actually, at the time. Um, I was so nervous about it. I tried to pour myself a glass of water and nearly spilled it on the table. Um, but it's the thing about it is, okay, you have a 10-minute presentation and you talk about what maybe a summary of what you've already included in your report. And then you sort of talk about what you've worked on since. And then 10 minutes fly by I was so nervous but as the the people on the panel at the time were so good they were like you are the expert in this you're the expert on yourself just take your time and I found the questions they asked like you know all the answers it's based on your experience they're just checking to see that everything you've written is your own work and your own words and it was a very very interesting process and I did um it was good and I suppose when you do get chartership it's sorry before you even get chartered I think now you have to get a master's or do a master's to apply for the chartership where at the time when I graduated you didn't but I had the master's anyways so it's always a good step I think if someone is finishing and they're not sure maybe to continue on to do a master's if they're planning on getting chartered in the future um, it's an option to consider to do straight away or something to consider to do after they qualify maybe work for a while and do a master's part-time um, a lot of companies like Tobin's as well do that where they support their staff if they want to do um, further education so you can do master's or CPD um, so I find that's it's a choice on how people everyone is different some people want to continue studies some people want to take a break so um, that's all subject to everyone's own thoughts and then I think the the benefit then of chartership now in my section maybe not it, it's it's a benefit because it's shown that you've got the experience and wealth of knowledge, but I find that um, maybe more so in relation to the civil engineering side, it's more beneficial um, because of the building control amendment regulations in 2013. So you've got your assigned certifier and a um, role, which is um, if sort of something that's came out since 2013. And I believe that you need to be chartered to actually do that role, which is a benefit to the company as well. Yeah, great. You've given us a great summary there of what the process is like. And I suppose it, it becomes a kind of a seal of approval for you then as a, as a professional. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a recognition of your standards in terms of your technical ability. And also you mentioned morals there. And I suppose the ethical, the role of, of a, an engineer to be ethical for society is, is a huge area in it as well. So yeah, that's that's great. Um, thanks for for summarising that, Laura. Um, we're almost done now. Just got one last question for you, but it's a big one. Um, what is the best thing about being a civil engineer? Oh, um, I suppose the best thing, and actually, it reminds me of my placement in GMIT, and it's one thing I 
I remember, <laughs> it's probably so stupid, but it's just something I loved at the time. I was working in an IDA factory in near Ballinasloe at the time, and we were building a stairs, a fire escape stairs, and it's the sense of achievement and accomplishment you feel when something you've worked on gets built. Um, like I remember it was, I was fixing steel, I was probably doing a bit more than engineering at the time on site, but I was fixing steel and ordering the concrete in for a fire escape stairs and within a week it's built and you can run up and down that stairs and you can see what you've actually designed now I hadn't designed it but you know and other projects as I've moved on you design projects and then you see them built and you see them operating and it's a lot of the projects that I work on sometimes tie back into I suppose the sort of com community so I've worked on projects for Goway Hospice in Goway City um, like the new traffic light junction there they added in a few years ago so like seeing that operating and then there's like a whole variety of other project from care centres I've worked on that are up and running and just it brings it sort of it supports the community and society in a way or, or there's sports complexes that I've worked on and like it might be in the traffic side of it but allowing traffic to get to that development allows people to come and play their sport and bring in the recreation and social aspects to it so that's probably I suppose helping do that is one of the things I really like about engineering but I suppose main thing I love about engineering is I still like my maths and I always find that anything I'm working on, whether maybe not in one day if I might report, but the next day I might be doing something based around maths, predicting stuff, working out with working with maths and working with numbers. So that's that's what my favorite part of engineering is. Great, yeah. So it sounds like uh, you, you get a real satisfaction out of the sense of achievement when it's done and dusted and it's there for, for people to use, um, to, I suppose, to improve their lives, really. Isn't that what it's about? Yeah, giving people the opportunity and like sometimes you work you work on so many different projects in engineering, especially in the roads department. Like I've worked, as I said, on primary care centres. I've worked on maybe not hospitals, but I've worked on um, sort of school projects. I've, I've worked on so many different projects that are all are part of the community in general. So it's nice to be able to bring that to, to an area and support people. I just think it's... Um, yeah it's just nice to just have that and be able to support people well that's great laura um that sounds like a, a really positive way to to finish off this episode so i would just like to say thank you very much for taking your time um as i said we we, we haven't met yet but uh, hopefully hopefully we will uh, under circumstances when when we can and uh, yeah thanks very much for your time and effort it's you, you've given some great insights there and i'm sure people would be delighted maybe if you wanted to share some contact details and i don't know if anyone wants to follow up on anything you said would you be willing to share some of your contact details yeah no problem yeah i'm on linkedin so definitely through linkedin i'd definitely be able to um, i check it most days as well so yeah definitely be available if anyone has any questions or queries or about the industry that's brilliant thanks very much laura and uh, best of luck thanks very much wayne it's a pleasure talking to you Well, there you have it. Clear, concise and unambiguous. 
three very simple yet powerful words when it comes to student advice and student tips for how they report on activities such as surveying as Laura described it but I think it could could be equally applied to any of the tasks you're asked to do as a student Uh, and also as you can see even after you've been a student what was interesting for me there was that that was the mantra or one of many mantras of Massey Farrell Massey was a lecturer on the civil engineering program in GMIT for many years and I think a lot of the listeners to this podcast will remember his name and will remember being in his classes. He's retired now but it's great to hear his legacy living on. Even many years after graduating Laura is still referring to clear, concise and unambiguous. It's great to hear that kind of legacy living on. So as always If you want to get in touch with anything about the podcast, you can email me to wayne.gibbons at gmit.ie or you can leave a voicemail by going to anchor.fm forward slash being civil. That's it for now. Until next time, stay safe.